Hello to all you podcast listeners. We're bringing you something really special. One of the great spiritual thinkers of our time, Eckhart Tolle and I, are giving you a chapter-by-chapter class on what I believe is his groundbreaking masterpiece, Eckhart's best-selling book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. This book resonated with me in such a profound way. I truly think that it's the most important book I've ever read. It's changed the way I live my life, so much so that I always have a copy on my nightstand because I constantly give myself a refresher course. And now more than ever, we need to create what Eckhart calls a new earth inside our personal lives, in our communities, and the world. Give it a listen, and over 10 episodes, you too will be opened up and learn how to quiet your mind, get your ego in check, live a fully more present life. We're talking deep, big picture, even delving into consciousness and the reason why we're all really here. My greatest hope is that Eckhart's quiet wisdom and patient teachings will resonate with you as they have with me. Each podcast episode will start with my conversation with Eckhart about a chapter, and then Eckhart answers questions from people who are reading along in the book. So I encourage you to get your own copy of A New Earth, Awakening, to your life's purpose, and join us for a thrilling, enlightening, and spiritual experience. Now, in this first class, to kick things off, Eckhart teaches some very practical ways for us to learn how to be more present. Because as he says, things, this is his quote, things cannot give you happiness. Because happiness comes from a deeper place within you that you can only access in the present moment. I'll tell you, this chapter, I believe, is going to make you want to get outside and see the world through a different lens. I know it did that for me. I started seeing everything differently. So here we go. Week one, a new earth. Of course, I'm honored to introduce the author of this great book, A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, Eckhart Tolle. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. And many people are saying that they look at flowers differently now. I can certainly say that I do. And one of the things that you said that struck me when you said that they, they are representatives of the spiritual realm and that when you are still, allow yourself to be still with a flower or a crystal yeah. or a bird or really anything of nature. Yes. But you used a flower specifically yes. because because a flower is, every, nature on the whole is a beautiful access point into inner stillness, if you can be there fully present. Mm-hmm. But a flower is even, everything You say is, messengers from another realm. Yes, like messengers. A flower is much more fragile than a plant. It is more fleeting, mm-hmm. uh, ethereal, I think is the word, yes. more ethereal. So it's, it has less density to it than most other things. It is so, so, and because of the lack of density, it's almost as if spirit could flow through it more freely. Mm-hmm. So when you contemplate a flower without too much interference of the thinking mind to mm-hmm. actually truly look, this is what Jesus said, by the way, mm-hmm. In churches, you hear Jesus saying, look at the lilies of the field. Yes. And so when he said that, he wasn't just saying, look at the lilies of the field. He said, Aren't they look. Pretty? Yes. He said, look, you really have to look 
because there is something that they embody something that you also have, but, but because of all your anxiety about tomorrow and your thinking, that's what is, I'm translating very freely now, yes. what Jesus said. These flowers are not anxious, they, have no, they are not concerned about tomorrow, and see how beautiful they are, mm -hmm. how God clothes them in such beauty. And you can live like that also. So he, want, he used this natural realm and flowers to get people in touch with the dimension of depth within them. Well, what's very interesting to me about all of this is that when I read that the first time, I thought it was, you know, a beautiful passage. And then I read it a second time and awakened a little bit more and started to look at nature differently in California. And, you know, I always just appreciated the garden. Aren't they lovely and all the different colors and the roses and all that? And then I decided to move into the garden without naming it. What if I were like a babe? Yes. What if I were a babe yes. learning what a flower was for the first time? What if I went out under the, the oaks that I love so much, but I didn't know it was an oak, I didn't know what to call it? That for the first time, and I've loved trees all of my life, and the, the, the sense of power and stillness they represent, but by not naming those things in nature, that I felt a magical presence. I felt a, a sense of majesty and power and strength and connection that I'd never felt before. Yes. Because I didn't give it a name. Yes, that's the key. Yes. I didn't give it a name or have a reference for everything that a tree has meant in my life. That's right. Isn't it? That's right. So being present with mm -hmm. the perception. And this, this theme runs, is perhaps the main theme running through the whole book is that, that state where the compulsive naming of things, yes. and you start with nature because that's easier to let go of the naming. Mm -hmm. Later, we'll be talking about that in some future yeah. session. Stop labeling people. Yes, and that's more difficult because but, people yeah. invite the labels yes. Yes. because there's so much mind in everybody, and they label you and you label them. So, but with nature, this is the starting point to find a different relationship to nature. It doesn't mean that you need to forget what you have learned about trees or about flowers. When mm -hmm. it's necessary, you can get that knowledge and you use it. Right. But to not to be totally in the grip of what you have learned of mental labels, of interpreting mentally, but being able to perceive, mm -hmm. one could call it, perceive the flower, see it through a background of just stillness. Just stillness. Which is really consciousness. Yeah. When you start to walk through a park or walk in your backyard or begin to, and you're right, it's easier with nature than with yeah. people, and pretend that you don't know or just let yourself be in the space without labeling the things, it's just, everything's vibrating and it's like, you know, scintillating. Yes. And everything's exciting. Yes. And that's, Everything's uh, exciting. Yes, and a then walk you, through the park right. becomes exciting, and it's the same path you've always taken. Yes, and before, when you were involved in in your mind, yes, perhaps you didn't even see it. Never saw it. I see. Uh, yeah, and and so many people are so trapped in this continuous mental noise that absorbs their whole attention all the time. Every thought absorbs the stream of thinking, absorbs mm -hmm. their attention. They don't see that the world around them is vitally alive. Yeah. So you become, gradually, as you, people then grow older, 
the, the world around them becomes more and more lifeless and dead. Right, right. And, and that happens to them also. And why is that? Because... That is because you are run by mental abstraction. The, all the concepts and the thoughts in that are abstractions. It's not life. So you can't take in the information that's, that's there to be received all around you because you're in your head. You're in your head. You're, you're, your not, head. you're not present. All right. So you're lost in thought. One could say that's the human condition is being lost in thought. Mm. Uh, and people don't, and that of course is the famous, what we call the voice in the head. The voice in the head. Some people have been asking about. Which we'll be talking a lot about the voice uh, in the so head. So some people say, what, what voice in the head? It's that one. It's that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kelly from Alton, Illinois joins us. Kelly, hi. Hi, uh, hi, hi what's your Carter. question? Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, good. Okay, what's your question? Well, my question is regarding religion and spirituality. Big one. I had a Catholic upbringing. I married a Catholic, and we're raising our children this way. In reading books such as Tolley's, I've really op it's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality that doesn't always align with the teachings of Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how have you reconciled these spiritual teachings with your Christian beliefs? Oh, the question's to me. I was, I was resting knowing it was going to be about him. <laughs> uh, I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the, the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. I took God out of the box because I grew up in the Baptist church and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems and doctrine. And I happened to be sitting in church in my late 20s, and I was going to this church where you had to get there at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning or you couldn't get a seat, and a very uh, charismatic minister, and everybody was just into the sermon. And uh, this great uh, minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything. And then he said, and the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. Just, and I was like, uh, I think about 27 or 28. I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, God is all. And God's also jealous, jealous God is jealous of me. And something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. And so that's when the, the, the search for something more than doctrine started to stir within me. And I love this quote that uh, Eckhart has. This is one of my favorite quotes in uh, chapter one, where he says, man made God in his own image. The eternal, the infinite and unnameable was reduced to a mental idol that you had to believe in and worship as my God or our God. Now, I think that's very eloquently put by Eckhart Tolle in chapter one, but that is exactly what I was feeling when I was sitting in church that, that, that Sunday listening to the preacher. And, right. you know, it's, it's been a journey to get to the place where I understand that what I believe is that Jesus came to show us Christ consciousness, that Jesus came us to show us the way of the heart and that what Jesus was saying 
to show us the higher consciousness that we're all talking about here. Jesus came to say, look, I'm going to live in the body, in the human body, and I'm going to show you how it's done. These are some, some principles and some laws that you can use to live by to, to know that way. And when I started to recognize that, that Jesus didn't come, in my belief, even as a Christian, I don't believe that Jesus came to start Christianity. So that was also very helpful to me. There was a wonderful book called Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth, which helped me reconcile the two. So that might be really good for those of you who are Christian and trying to, to balance the two. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Because one of the things that Eckhart says in the beginning of this book on page six is that this book's main purpose is not to add new information or beliefs to your mind or to try to convince you of anything but to bring about a shift in consciousness, that is to say, to awaken. How do you advise people to reconcile this with their religious beliefs? Well, religion can be an open doorway into spirituality, and religion can be a closed door mm -hmm. that prevents you from going deeper. I love reading the New Testament, and I also read the Old Testament. Sometimes there's some incredible jewels Mm -hmm. in there. And when I went through this inner transformation and for the first time accidentally I picked up a copy of the New Testament at my mother's place mm -hmm. and I started reading and I immediately recognized the deep truth that is there and I realized the truth that is deeper, that is expressed in what Jesus said is much deeper than what you, how the church interprets it. There is a depth to it and it reflects your own depth when you read it. So there's no conflict between, between this teaching, which is purely spiritual, mm -hmm. and any religion, because if you go deep enough into your religion, then you all get to the same place. It's a question of going deeper. So there's no conflict here. With The important thing is that religion doesn't become an ideology. So it, it's, I believe this, and the moment you say, only my belief or our belief is true and you deny other people's beliefs, then you've, you've adopted an ideology. Mm -hmm. And then religion becomes a closed door. But potentially religion can also be an open door. Well, let me share this with you too, uh, Kelly. There is another book by a woman named Elizabeth Lesser. It's called The Seeker's Guide, where she talks about the new spirituality versus the old. So I just wanted to, this is on page 51 and 52 of, of uh, Elizabeth Lesser's book called The Seeker's Guide. And she talks about old spirituality versus the new spirituality. And she says the old was, the old way is the hierarchy has the authority. Church, church authorities tell you how to worship in church and how to behave outside of church. The new spirituality is that you are your own best authority as you work to know and love yourself, you discover how to live a more spiritual life. The old is God and the path to worship him have already been defined and all you need to do is follow the directions. The new is being able to listen within for your own definition of spirituality. Your deeper longings are your compass on the search. And the old says exactly what Eckhart was saying, that there is only one path. It's the right way and all other ways are wrong. And the new spirituality says that many paths lead to spiritual freedom and peace. You have a rich array of gems from which to uh, draw illumination. 
the world's religious traditions, mythology, psychology, healing methods, scientific wisdom, your own experience, and that you can begin to string a necklace all your own. Then she lists, you know, other old and new. And so it's really a question of what you were saying to us earlier, that this material strikes a chord within you, something in you opens up and once, you know, feels alive and is awakened to that. And yet there is the ideology that says what to you? What is the conflict for you? Um, just thoughts on the afterlife, things like that. You know, you in a lot of books, such as Tolle's, we get teachings from Buddhism or Hinduism, and those thoughts don't go along with, you know, what I was raised to believe as a Christian. So that's been the biggest thing that I've struggled with, I think. So. Well, I am but, a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. So right. I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes that, who believes in my way, but I don't believe that it's the only way with six billion people here on the planet. Right. Another author who uses, uh, who might appeal to you, who uses Christian terminology but goes very, very deep using Christian language and Christian teaching is Joel Goldsmith. Yes. Uh, so any book Joel Goldstein? Goldsmith. Oh, Goldsmith. Joel Goldsmith. Any book by Joel Goldsmith, I think you would uh, try that and can see how deep the Christian teaching can be. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Kelly. We've got uh, Erica, who lives on a U.S. military base in Landstuhl, Germany. Hi, Hi. Erica. Hi, Oprah. Thank you so much. What, what is your question or comment to us? My question is for Mr. Tolley. Um, I, too, grew up in the Baptist church, uh, just like Oprah and so many others. And you talk about the voice in my head. And I, I had a situation where I no longer attend that church because the behavior didn't line up with the teaching. But on Sundays, when I'm at home with my family and we're enjoying a nice day and we decided not to go to church, that voice in my head says things like, you didn't go to church today. That's not how you were raised. When your mom calls, what are you going to say? Can you help me with that on explaining why we have the voice in the head that says things like that? Yes. <laughs> yes, he can help you, <laughs> Erica. <laughs> <laughs> now, the voice, of course, is the conditioned thinking. The voice, what the voice says, is conditioned by your past, by your childhood, by your upbringing, by the surrounding culture. All those things condition your thought processes, and when you, sometimes it happens when you awaken, maybe not completely, but when the awakening process begins, a lot of the old voices in the head, the old thoughts, still come up, they still come up, and the essential thing is to recognize them as conditioned thought processes. Mm -hmm. And to see, because the fact that you're asking the question means there's already an awareness there that these are the voices in your head, so you are not totally identified. Because if you were totally identified with the voice, you would say, I, I feel so terrible, I really think I should be doing this. But you realize it's the voice in the head that's mm -hmm. doing it. And then you can allow it and say, okay, there's an old thought, and allow it to be there and be the awareness behind the thought. And anybody, this is not just for in this part, your particular case, there are many other instances where people have the movement of thought 
-hmm. telling them this or that, interpreting events and people according to the old conditioning. When you meet people, telling you immediately, judging somebody according to your old conditioning, with prejudices, with all the old conditioning. You, the only way you can gradually go beyond the conditioned thought processes is simply to be there as the witness. You don't need to act on it or say, go away, I don't want to be thinking this, that doesn't work. Right. It would only give it more energy. That's right. So right. again, a, a vital thing, and this will be going throughout the book and the teaching is, as much as possible, be aware of what your mind is saying and realize that's only a small part of the consciousness, the totality of consciousness that you are. Many people don't know that yet. They're totally one with the voice. They are the voice. They're so identified with every thought that comes, there's no space between them and the thought. So the essential thing is this, realize there's thought processes, and here I am as the space for the thought. Mm as the awareness or the space for the thought. And that, that the thought is only a part of... A small part, it's the conditioned part of who you are. Who you are. A more, and the, that's time-bound, it's conditioned by the past. There's a more essential part of who you are, and that is the awareness that knows that there's a voice. The awareness of the thought. Yes. Which we're going to get into in further detail. But also, Erica, let me share yes. this with you. Part of what you and our, our first caller from Alton, Illinois, was uh, also talking about is, is, is trying to reconcile the two. The reason why the voice keeps repeating is because, of course, of what Eckhart is saying, it's conditioned thinking. But also the guilt is you haven't made a decision for yourself about what is real or true for you. So you're still being led by the conditioned thinking and haven't made a decision. And for me, um, that came when I was able to do exactly what Eckhart said earlier. I didn't uh, phrase it the way he did. I asked God to use me. That has been my prayer for many years. I, you know, Eckhart says, ask life what is its purpose for you. But I would pray on my knees to God and ask to be used and to be a servant and to allow his spirit to work through me and to not to just be on television, but to be able to use television for a purpose that was greater than my own personality and to collect shoes in my closet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Didn't mean I wanted to give up the shoes, but <laughs> I, would, I would if I had to. So when I yeah. started to ask that question of God, how can I be used? God, how do you want me to live? How would you have me be? I let go of the guilt of, did I make it to church or I didn't make it to church? Because the, the, the majesty and power and omniscience of this force that we call God can't not be, cannot be contained in a church. You're right. Cannot be contained in a church and does not just want to be served in a church. But if church um, allows you to, to feel like you are being of service, then, uh, then use it that way. But the, the bigness is, is what, what, what Eckhart was saying in that quote in the book, man made God in his image, the eternal, the infinite, and unnameable force 
that that is God, that is all consciousness, that is universal energy, I don't believe wishes to just be served on Sunday at 11 o'clock service. Mm-hmm. Nope. And so that's what you're trying to reconcile with yourself, the voice in your head versus what you really should be doing. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So Thank you. That's you, it. You need to make that decision for yourself. And, and, Thank and, you. And start asking that question of God. Okay. All right? I will do that. Thank you. Thank you, Erica, from Lundstuhl. <laughs> Lundstuhl, Germany. <laughs> we have Adam from Redmond, Washington. Hi, Adam. Yeah. I thank you so much, both of you. Go ahead. Oh, gosh. What role do you see community or joining with others with the intention of sharing this consciousness playing in the flowering of human consciousness? Good. Mm. Good question. Yes. To have a group of people who practice being present, perhaps listen to a spiritual talk or have a little reading, Mm -hmm. enter stillness, be present, is extremely helpful because a, an energy field is generated mm-hmm. when people come together and enter the state of presence together. So, and this is happening here also, although people are not physically together, mm-hmm. and yet there is an energy field now that is generated all over the planet of presence, a different level of consciousness being generated. So it's extremely helpful to join with others Also, it needs to be said not to become dependent on any group. It is still your responsibility to bring this new consciousness into everyday life. Whenever you go about your business, in your family. Once you become dependent upon the group, then you've now... Then you always need to go back to the group and you Mm -hmm. cannot live presence in your daily life. Mm -hmm. So the important thing, yes, go to the group to generate more presence and then your responsibility is to live it in your everyday life where most of the time perhaps you will not yet be surrounded by people who are present you will be surrounded by the old egoic consciousness Mm -hmm. so there that is and this is the challenge for everybody now who is awakening that yes more and more people are beginning to awaken and yet there's still vast numbers of people on the planet we're not. not. This is the arising of a new consciousness that he speaks about, Adam. Well, it's, it certainly is, and it's, you know, it's, it's very pleasurable to spend time with others and sharing this consciousness. You know, like you said, uh, when you were under the tree and you, you, felt the, uh, you felt that oneness and that majesty, well, imagine if you had someone sitting there next to you to share that experience with. I think it, it makes it even that much more sacred. I did have my two dogs, Luke and Layla, were there. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, what Adam. A sacred moment. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Adam. One of the things that really struck us so was um, so many people responded to this. Page 13, you don't become good by trying to be good. Mm-hmm. You don't become good by trying to be good. And carry on. Okay. There's more to that sentence. Yes, there is. I must go to page 13 to find <laughs> it. You don't become good by trying to be good, but by finding the goodness that is already within you and allowing that goodness to emerge. But it can only emerge if something fundamental changes in your state of consciousness. Yes. So what that means 
if, if nothing changes in your state of consciousness, the ego has many ideas. It says, I want to be a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be recognized as a spiritual person. I want to be more spiritual than all these people. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely more spiritual than you. Mm -hmm. So the ego has all kinds of ideas of what it wants to be. It might even say, yes, I want to be good because it wants to have a better image of itself. But on that level, but the, the essential dysfunction of the ego is still operating. So this is why we have the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because no matter how good your intentions are, when you're still trapped in the ego, it will always take you into conflict eventually. Yes. So you must... It's the realm of opposites. Yes. So you have to go deeper beyond the realm of opposites where there's good and bad and reach a place within yourself that is unconditioned, that is what I sometimes call the formless, formless, formless spirit. consciousness, what spirit, I spirit. Uh, expressed beautifully in the Old Testament, in the little saying, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. That is, and that's in the Old Testament, it contains the entire wisdom of religion in those few words. Be still, meaning go to that place where the mind is no longer operating, where there's, you're just conscious without thinking. And that is the level where the eternal resides. Mm. So the eternal, the formless, the spirit, is the essence of every human being. Mm. No matter how insane or conflict-ridden they seem to appear on the surface, within every human being, that remains untouched. There's nothing that anybody could have done to you or nothing that you could have done to others to destroy that. It's, it's always there. It's always there, and that is the grace of being here. Mm. And no matter how much madness there has been in your life, that remains untouched. So it's getting in touch with that deepest place within. And you can only do that by becoming still. The way you begin to feel that is to look at nature. Yes. If you were to go out and just be with a tree, and I don't mean hug a tree, we're not talking about now you gotta go hug a tree and eat granola, but if you were just to be with anything in nature, I like trees because they're so mm -hmm. majestic, they're so powerful and visual. And if you're with it for a time, you start to sense the presence of it, the stillness of it, and begin to recognize that stillness within yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what you sense in the tree is also in you. And it's always in the tree. Yes. And when the wind is blowing and there's a storm. Yes. Yes. And that's a, that is also a sacredness that is there in the tree. Now our world doesn't know much it's sacred. It has become an abstract concept. Nobody seems to know what sacredness is, but until you can feel it. Until you can feel it. When you feel, then you don't need a definition. People ask, please define what sacred is. You don't need a definition of what sacred is because sacred is the essence of who you are. Hmm. So it's sensing that. And you can sense it when you're still enough 
you sense it in the tree. Now, isn't it interesting that you first came to recognize this when you were about to kill yourself? Yes, yes. Sometimes you have to reach a limit. Humans have to reach a limit. The human species as a whole is reaching that limit, mm -hmm. but also on a personal level, sometimes people have to be pushed to the limit. My ego was so obstinate and my pain body was so strong, I had to be pushed to the limit before the, it cracked open. Well, before we go any further, share that moment that you talk about in the beginning of Power of Now, when you were about to kill yourself. Yes. Feeling so much pain. Dreadful suffering at night. I would often wake up in extreme feeling of dread and fear, consumed by dread and fear. The whole world seemed alien. And I saw the thought one night, I woke up again, the thought came, I can't live with myself any longer. I just can't live with myself any longer. It's so painful. Uh, and, when I, and that thought repeated itself a few times and then suddenly something happened inside me and I looked at the thought. That was of course awareness, I didn't know that at the time what it was. I became aware of the thought and I said, I cannot live with myself. That's strange. So there must be I and there must be myself. Is, am I one or two? I seem to be two. <laughs> because if I can't live with myself, there must be two of me. Well, yeah. and everybody has felt that, not to kill themselves, but everybody has felt or heard or heard you say to yourself, I said to myself. Yes. I said to myself. Yes. And of course, the entire, what we call the voice in the head, we could also call it self-talk, mm -hmm. where you talk to yourself. And most people address themselves as you. So the voice says, you shouldn't have done that, or you should better... Or, uh, yes. So there's a constantly, there's a, there's a separation inside human beings, which is the essence of ego. Right. That there's a, here's an image of who I think I am, and then there's a me, and okay. they, they get mixed up together. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted you, <laughs> that thought, though. But you, you uh, getting ready to kill yourself, said, I can't live with myself any longer. Yes. Said that several times in your mind. And then I, the sent, I became aware of the structure of the sentence, and I said, if that's the case, then who is the self that I cannot live with, and who am I? Wow. And at that moment, a separation happened completely between the, the essential I, which is the essential consciousness that I am beyond past and future, the, the stillness. eternal stillness, stillness, but awake stillness, mm -hmm. and all my thought processes, which were ego, would be, and they, it was all my thought processes which had created the dreadful suffering. Mm. The, the mind-created entity, the unhappy me, was continuously fed by my thinking. It, it consisted of thinking, a, a stream of thinking. So did you, just, did you just decide that night, I guess I'll wait to see if no. I will kill myself? No. Yeah. The, the, I kind of, it was a kind of spiritual suicide, so the ego died. Instead of me having to jump off a bridge, fortunately, mm -hmm. the ego died. The ego dissolved. The ego as the unobserved mind dissolved. The ego. The false self, the me, the unhappy story. Oh, got it. Me as the unhappy, my identity as me and my unhappy story. Died. Died, dissolved, because the I behind it suddenly woke up and said, who is that self that I can't live with? And when you fully look at that self, it actually dissolves, because it cannot survive in the light of intense consciousness. Wow. And so the next morning I woke up and I didn't know, I thought, that was strange what happened. Well, there was still, I felt myself. Were you drinking? 
No drinking, <laughs> no drugs. No drugs. <laughs> no acid. You had a couple sips or something. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Just it just happened, and the I felt like being drawn into a kind of vortex. Then, and then I went to sleep. And the last thing I felt, there was still some fear. A voice said, "Don't resist, or resist nothing. Resist, resist nothing. nothing. Don't resist. Resist nothing." And so, I must have gone to sleep then. You had your first good night's sleep in God. Yes, and the next morning I woke up and looked around and looked, everything looked so fresh. All the old furniture, the, the pencil, everything looked fresh and alive and I could hear bird song outside. Wow, as if I'd never heard it before. Wow. Because the, the mind had become still and there was simply the beautiful perception of everything, the yeah. sunlight coming through the curtains. Incredible, I said. I've never seen that before. Part of what you're describing is what I, I came close to that uh, when I uh, decided to go outside without naming things or labeling things, is what I was describing earlier, walking through the park, walking around you yes. know, my house, which is like a park. And yes. uh, everything was like vibrating and it was the colors and everything. The sense perception was very different because I wasn't in my mind thinking about it. I was just there to experience yes. it. So, so that's how you get to, get to that place. That's right. Mm -hmm. So when, when you're then, you're no longer there when you walk through your garden mm -hmm. in that or wherever. In and nature. you're not naming every flower. You're not naming. And also you're not carrying the burden of a heavy me, a personality, a person with its problems, with its mm. past, with You're its future. You're not thinking no. about so, anything. So you are basically, you become an, a conscious presence perceiving the beauty around you. Yeah, it's fascinating. There are many little things you can do to access the power of the present moment. For example, a very simple thing, ask, ask yourself, am I still breathing? Now, what does that mean? How to find out if you're still breathing, your attention needs to move from the thinking into here. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly feel the air flowing into your body and out of your body. Hmm. Yes, I'm breathing. At that moment, you've entered the state of presence. Even if it's only five seconds, mm -hmm. you've entered that, you've become present. In the moment. In that moment. Mm -hmm. so, Another thing I suggest is when you do think habitual uh, everyday motions like washing your hands or walking across the room or walking down the stairs or the slightest thing, taking a cup out of the cupboard, do it consciously, do it being present of every, how you, it, the feel, of, for example, you wash your hands, feel the water, mm -hmm. smell the soap, Sense perceptions, becoming acutely conscious of sense perceptions, which means looking, hearing, touching, if also, brings you into the present moment. How is that going to help me? Because I started doing that, going up the stairs. I was going, one foot on the stairs, there's another foot on the stairs, there's another foot, okay, I'm at the top of the stairs now. I was present walking up the stairs. How, wh what does that do for me, Eckhart? Were you present? Yeah, I think I was. There's a foot, there's a foot, there's a foot, there's a foot on the stair. I'm just there. What, what, okay. The movement of, what, you no, know, the, feeling, the, uh, feeling the motion of my body and yes. how many parts of my body have to move to get me up the stairs. Yes. And, 
you know, oh, I used my, uh, you know, thigh muscle there. Yeah. Yes. I used the back of the leg. Oh, Good. My ankles okay. Will, yeah, that yeah. was presence. I okay. wasn't sure from the way you said it. I thought you were repeating mentally, here's one step and here's another step. But you were not. No, I was not. No. I was feeling every part of what yes. it took to get me up the stairs. Yes. Yes. So now the, the mind says, what, what's the point in that? Yes, the mind then said, <laughs> okay, now you were present getting up the stairs. And the now mind what? says, I've got more important things to think about. Than... Yes, it did. <laughs> mind said, now what did that do you? Now to the mind, that kind of thing is completely meaningless because you're inviting a different state of consciousness into your life, which the mind cannot understand. But this is, this is how you bring in awareness this is the end of the old conditioning yes and you bring in a consciousness that is totally fresh and new that comes out of the present moment and the more you bring those moments of presence into your life the more your old conditioning becomes eroded gradually i see so learning to do it with washing your hands i just simple got simple things just learning to do uh, the simple things begins to retrain your mind Yes, and another thing is most simple things that you do, which actually fill up most person's uh, everyday life, because yes. the whole day consists of simple things that you have to do. Right. They're all relatively simple. Right. And the way most people live is that everything you do is a means to an end. And the end is where you want to get to, the next moment. Right. So, so you're never thinking about the moment. No, yes. because you want to get to the next one. You're washing your hand in order to already do that. Or yeah. you're making, a, while you're making a cup of coffee, we really want to be drinking it. Yeah, John Kabat-Zinn says in his book, Coming to Our Senses, that most people, every morning, people take a shower, or they bathe or something. But most people are in the shower, but they never actually get to experience the no. shower because no. they're thinking they're already in the office. Yes. They're already in the office. And then everything you do is a means to an end. The end is always the next moment in the future, which never arrives because all you ever have in life is the present moment. Present moment. So you're constantly frustrated, yes. creating anxiety for stress. yourself and stress yes. because you can't just be present, present now. now. And the power can only flow into your life when you are present completely, totally with what you're doing now. And this is why most people's lives do not have this power because they're always living for the next thing, so they... Trying to get to. They devalue the present moment. Got they, it. And so... That's why walking up the stairs, being with the stairs... Yes. ...teaches you how to be present with other things. Yes. And, yes. and then gradually you can be present with... Even when you are with other human beings, you can be totally present in whatever work you do, so that the work is not a means to an end, mm -hmm. but you're totally there with what you do, mm -hmm. your attention. Casey uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, has a question also for Eckhart. Casey? Hi, Oprah. Hi, Mr. Tully. Oh. Um, so my question is this. When I put out into the universe, when I ask God um, for things, for hopes and dreams and material things, and, um, and a lot of times I get them, those material things, they, I think they may be coming from the ego. And I just wonder, um, Mr. Tully, is that wrong? Okay. Well, it's not wrong. Uh, you can always easily recognize that something is coming from ego because when you get it, it doesn't satisfy you. That's always a sign that it's coming from ego. It may satisfy you for a little while and then some, oh, I need more, I need something else. So that's a good learning process. You can manifest things and if you see, oh, that's not satisfying, 
It must have been the ego. So there's nothing wrong with manifesting things. The only illusion would be to expect things to provide some ultimate satisfaction in your life. Things can't do that. The world of form can't ultimately satisfy you. You can enjoy the world of form, but the true satisfaction doesn't come from there. The world can't do that. The world can't make you happy. Mm -hmm. Things cannot give you happiness. Right. Because happiness comes from a deeper place within you that you can only access in the present moment. So it's fine to, we live in the world of things. Why not manifest things as part of the game of, in this life, the mm -hmm. game of form? But if you expect some kind of satisfaction, then you'll always be frustrated. Which is going to be, yeah, I think we get into that a lot in chapter three. Yes. And chapter two and chapter three. Not allowing yourself, love chapter two. Not allowing yourself to be defined by the things, to be in the world and not of it, is how I describe it. To not allow, to have things, you know, I have lots of beautiful things and I love beautiful things. Uh, and later on in one of the chapters, he talks about when you say, um, that you're not defined by things. What happens to you uh, if you were to lose any of those things? Mm -hmm. the, the, the depth of your, you know, grief, grieving or sorrow or, you know, so-called suffering um, determines how attached you were to those things. Yes, and for you many people... say it doesn't matter to me until somebody steals that's your right. car. That's yes. right. Yeah. And for many people, that's a very important lesson when suddenly they do lose something. It can be a, a wonderful spiritual lesson, and then you perhaps you suffer, and then your attachment gets broken, and suddenly you go beyond the attachment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there have been people who have lost everything, and suddenly become free of the ego because the ego had nothing left to identify with. So this can happen. And another uh, important thing to mention with regard to manifestation is the basis for your life is the present moment. You need to, first of all, the very basis for everything is to come to an acceptance of this moment as it is. Gratitude is part of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, we'll be talking about that in more detail. So that there's no neediness when you manifest. This, the neediness that uh, you, there's dissatisfaction, for example, in your life. If there's dissatisfaction. That is not a good place, not a good starting point for changing your life. The ego may tell you that, but it isn't. You need to find, to find a place of acceptance, mm -hmm. not, which is... Wow, that's powerful. No matter where you are, mm -hmm. come to terms and come, become friendly with the present moment. Because if you do not become friendly with the present moment, you're not friendly with life. If you're not, because life is only now. If you're not friendly with life, life cannot support you. But did you just say that being dissatisfied is not a good time or place to change? It's first, you can see the totality of, situ of the situation. Let's say, I, I use the example in the power of now, you're stuck in the mud. You're yes. walking somewhere and suddenly you get deep into the mud up to your knees. Right. Now, you wouldn't say, okay, I'm satisfied with this situation. You can't right. be satisfied with this, right. this situation. And you know that you need to get out. But you say, okay, here I am stuck in the mud and I need to get out. There's no Cursing the negative mud. reaction. Yeah, there's no... Cursing. Damn this mud! Yes. Yeah. Or struggle against. Yeah. 
because if you struggle against, you get in deeper. You're just going to get more mud on you. Yes. You must accept whatever it is first before you can begin to change it. That's what you're saying. Yes. That's there, the there must be acceptance. Acceptance of first. what is first. First. Then action comes out of the acceptance. It no longer comes out of resistance. Got it. Which is a totally different energy flows into what you do when it comes out of an acceptance of this is what is, and then action happens that is actually empowered by life itself. Well, I think that explained it, Casey. Thank you. I think so too. Thank you so Thank much. You so That's much. amazing. Thank you so Thank much. You. I just wanted to go back to uh, spirituality and religion for a few moments in the few moments we have remaining because I know that's still such a major issue with so many of you. And you say on page 17 that the more you make your thoughts or beliefs into your identity, the more cut off you are from the spiritual dimension within yourself. Yes. And you also say on page 18 how spiritual you are has nothing to do with what you believe. Yes. But everything to do with your state of consciousness. Yes. How spiritual you are means how present, how present are you mm -hmm. at this moment? Are you in your thoughts or are you there as the awareness behind your thoughts? Which is your spirit. Yes. Yeah. Stillness. So the, uh, often in, in newspapers and the media, they, when you, they always ask, well, what do you believe in? It, that is not an important question, what I believe in. It's the important question is, are you present at this moment? Not, not what your belief structures are. I think people want to know what you believe so that they can label it and decide whether yes. they're going to like you, accept you or not. Yes. yes. And they want to know, do you believe the same thing that I believe? Because if you don't, you're my enemy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you're laughing at that, okay. <laughs> well, it's mad. It's better to laugh at madness. Yes, yes. Right. I, I just wanted to mention this person, Maria from Doha, Qatar. I just wanted to say Doha, Qatar. In? Uh, yes. In what country? Qatar. Qatar, okay. Yeah, Qatar. Okay. Qatar. Okay. She says, do you think that people are ready and willing to set aside time to be quiet each day? Is this possible in a global sense? Would anyone who thinks their life is fine be willing to, to waste time just sitting in order to raise their consciousness level? Well, a better, I would uh, change the question a little bit to make it more vital and more relevant is ask, am I ready? The only question you really need to answer is, am I ready Love that. to do this? Mm -hmm. You don't need to know whether other people are ready to do it. Only you can have the answer, am I ready to be still? Very good, Miss Qatar. <laughs> am I ready? Let's see, that's the vital question. And only you can answer that. I can't answer that. Are you ready or are you so fascinated by the things of this world and your mind, that perhaps you need to pursue those things for a few more years until you suffer a bit more and then you're ready. What about the people who are struggling, particularly in this first chapter with the book? The first chapter is a little bit more conceptual than the other chapters and less practical. I wanted to give a, a general context for where the book fits into the general context of the spirituality on the planet, the transformation of consciousness on the planet. So just, just read through. There are already very important pointers in the first chapter, if you can see them, that, that will run through the whole book, presence and so on. Just carry on, but not only the first chapter, anywhere in the book, don't expect to immediately understand everything mm -hmm. that's not necessary. And besides, understanding the book is not the essential thing, it's secondary. 
the, the first thing is to experience the truth of it. Rather than conceptual understanding, the essence of what's in the book, in any case, cannot be understood conceptually. For example, presence. People say, can you explain to me what presence is? I've already given a few pointers. It would, it's pointless to go beyond that and give further definitions. You can only know what presence is by being present. You must have at least a glimpse of presence, which, and this is why the, it's not understanding that's the essence. So when you don't understand, just read on. Mm -hmm. It's a process. Reading this book is a process. Yes. And this book, as you say, uh, again, as I said in the beginning, this isn't about creating a, more information for you to believe in. No. Yeah. No. And you don't want to be anybody's guru. No. Mm -mm. No. So it's not through your mind, really, that you can get. And, and anybody who finds this book meaningful, and this is the important thing, is already awakening. Mm. If you're not awakening already, this book will be completely meaningless. Or any other truly alive spiritual book will be meaningless. If you won't understand it or you say, there's not much there, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. If it does make sense, and especially if you feel something from within responding, and you say, wow, yeah. There are a lot of people who um, are expressing they're getting it, they're awakening, they're feeling more alive and excited, and then you want to go share it with somebody else yeah. who perhaps hasn't read the book, doesn't feel the same as you, and then they feel frustrated. Yes. And I guess you would say the same thing as you say to the woman for, to, in Qatar, just worry about yourself. Yes. And so if others... Concern yourself with yourself. That's right. And if friends or relatives say, it doesn't make sense to me, that's fine. That's, perhaps in a few years' time they'll be ready. Mm -hmm. We don't know. So it's to accept that it's not yet for everybody. Accept it first. Accept. 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 Don't demand that or don't make it into an ideology and then try to convince people that they must be present. Right. <laughs> I got it. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for being with me, all of you out there, uh, being able to talk with you all and share this kind of information that allows all of us to get closer to who we really are so that we can do honor our life's purpose and calling here uh, while we're on Earth. Thank, thank you, Eckhart. You. Thank you. Hey, Supersolars. Looking for a great new read or listen? Well, that's why we're so excited about Oprah's new book, The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose. Oprah has collected all of the lessons she's learned from thought leaders like Eckhart Tolle and Brene Brown and innovators like Jay-Z and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who all understand what it means to achieve the life of your dreams. The Path Made Clear is available now on Apple Books, Amazon, Audible, and at your local bookstore. It really is a game changer for anyone seeking to discover their true calling and start living it. So what are you waiting for? Get the book now and begin your journey today.